As we get started here, let's uh, go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you for those men and women who uh, gave their lives that we might have freedom in our land. And for those men and women who haven't died but are still sacrificing their time and energies to protect that freedom. And Lord, for the next generation of men and women who will um, go forward to continue to protect that freedom, we thank you for their lives and commitment. And we want to honor you for them. Lord, in the time that we have together, I pray that you would challenge us to another type of a dream. A dream not just for one nation, but a dream for a world. That you would be glorified. And that we would enter into your dream. Your dream for your children. In your name. Amen. When Kevin asked me to preach about a month ago, I was kind of wrestling with, well, what should I share and how does that connect with uh, his messages uh, out of Galatians and the idea of uh, faith without works. And kind of wrestling with, well, what does that mean? And, you know, sometime, I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll find myself feeling guilty if I don't have a quiet time or if I didn't do something kind to a neighbor or if I haven't felt like I've done something, you know, right, you know, with the Lord, I'll kind of start feeling guilty about myself. And then there are other times when I'm kind of self-centered that way that I'll start looking at other people and saying, well, that person, they handled their money poorly. Or, gee, I don't like the way that person dressed. Or, boy, you know, I don't know about these young kids today and they're drinking and they're dancing and all their things. And so I can find myself getting caught up in this uh, kind of very self-centered, I'm better than them and I've done these things or maybe I haven't done these things and so... I get all caught up in that works thing. And so, of course, Kevin's been talking about, well, it's not works. It's faith. And so I thought, well, what does that mean? And how could we bring that forward and take a moment just to discuss that? Because, after all, Christ has already died for everything that we've already done. So if we don't wear the right clothes or have the hair, wrong hairstyle or we do something wrong, Jesus already died for that. He's already forgiven us. So what's our Christian faith? What's, what are we supposed to do? And in Hebrews 11.6, we know one thing that God has called us to that will please him. And I'm not sure if I found many other things in the Bible that it says this pleases God. But Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay, so this faith thing. Believe God. And so, what does that literally mean? So, with that in mind, I I came across a book by Bill Bright. And Bill Bright is the former, uh, he founded Campus Crusade for Christ. He died a few years ago, and towards the end of his life he wrote this book called the joy of supernatural thinking. And I said, now there's something that would connect with that idea of Hebrews 11.6 and faith. This idea of what does it mean to be a supernatural thinker? And I switched that to a supernatural dreamer because sometimes I think the thinking starts in our dreams. It starts with what's on our heart. And so uh, it's interesting that Bill Bright made this comment. I believe most Christians never believe God for the impossible. 
And yet, what greater demonstration could be made of faith in our wonderful Lord and Savior who possesses all authority in heaven and earth? Okay. That's interesting. The word supernatural, just to set that aside, literally means that which is not natural and comes from God. So the idea is to take what God has already laid on our hearts and then give that back to him and say, okay, God, what would be supernatural here? What could you bring about in this idea that you've laid in my heart? So do we have a biblical precedent for it as I was mulling this over? And I said, well, yeah, we do. You know, imagine Genesis 12, 1 through 4, we've got Abraham and Abraham was given a supernatural promise that his descendants would be as the stars of the heaven. And then, of course, Jacob had a supernatural dream, literally, as he slept and was heading out of the country, fearing for his life. And then, of course, we've got Gideon, who was called to a supernatural intervention. Here he's, you know, beaten out the, the wheat in a, in a cistern, a water cistern. And if you know, been to the country those things are underground, so you kind of go down a hole, and then there's a flat level, and as the water goes down, there's a flat level that opens up, and that's where he's beating out his wheat, so that the enemy wouldn't steal his wheat and wouldn't find him. So he's a great man of faith. He wasn't sure, so sure he was the one that God should have picked, but God picked him. And so he was called to the supernatural intervention to take 300 men to defeat an enemy of 120,000. And of course, you know the story of Samuel, the prophet who was uh, given a supernatural dream as a boy. And his mother prayed for years and years that she would have a son, didn't have any, so finally God blessed her, and she had committed Samuel from birth to the Lord. So here she had to give her one and only son to the, uh, to the judge in Israel, who did a terrible job with his sons raising them, and she has to, had to entrust that God would take care of her son. And Samuel was raised up. And of course we've got David and his supernatural calling to become Israel's king as a child. And then we've got Nehemiah, birth, a supernatural thought. If you read the scriptures there, you reckon he prayed for five months once he heard about the condition of Jerusalem and prayed that God would do something and God birthed that dream for him. Even those who uh, we don't think as highly of, people like Samson and King Saul, who obviously had some tremendous flaws in their character, when walking in the spirit, did supernatural things. We know this, of course, when Saul uh, was led by the Spirit to bring the whole nation together to defeat the Philistines. Of course, Samson uh, defeated the Philistines on numerous occasions. And so we have this history of heroes that have actually gone before us and have had supernatural dreams initiated by God to do something for his glory. And they've had to walk in faith to do it. Well, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, we have a New Testament foundation for those supernatural dreams. And it comes, in first, it comes like this, 1 Corinthians 2.9, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So there we've got a New Testament foundation to supernatural dreaming. How about Ephesians 3.20? Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Well, because of these promises, each of us has the opportunity today to dream and become a supernatural dreamer. So, of course, that begs the next question. What's God's supernatural dream for you? And what's his dream for me? As I started this 
service I put on the board asking you to write down a vision for your life, short term, long term. And um, it may be a dream that God has stirred in your heart right now. Or 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4 says, Who comforts us in all our afflictions, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the idea there is things that God has done in your life, he wants to do through your life to comfort other people. So there's some starting points that we can consider and and think about. Uh, But before we get too far along, let's just remember that this idea of supernatural dreaming isn't just for the superheroes of the faith. It's not just for David and it's not just for, um, you know, Samson or, or Samuel or the prophets. It's really for each of us. And right here in our congregation, we have supernatural dreamers. You know, you think of um, a couple of them. Fred Peterson founded Family Hope Services. And then he passed it off to another to run and looked around for another dream and started helping prisoners get out of prison and said, oh, they don't have anybody to take care of them and housing. And so then he founded... Freedom Works at the age of 61. Five years later, he passed that off to somebody else, and uh, he said, well, what's the next thing to do? And so then he and his wife have joined MAPS, uh, an organization of RVers that travel around America just serving in whatever needs people have. And I said, well, you know, talking the other day, and he called, I was talking to him, he's in South Dakota, just finishing up a project there. And he says, you know, we have... Uh, a vision for our life. And it says, to minister the love of Jesus to the least, the last, and the lost. And there's a dreamer. He's in our midst. And by the way, he wanted to add this. He said, you know, there's a lot of RVers in the congregation, and they have lots of room if you enjoy RVing and want to help out. And if you think you're too old, he said, well, we've got a bunch of couples that are 76 years old and still joining us and hanging in there. So there's some folks that are dreamers. They're still moving forward. But we have others. How about Terry Esau? You know, he left his music business to um, write some books. Surprise me, God. And as a matter of fact, as I was talking to him, he said, you know, the foundation of my books is about supernatural dreaming. And God entering our lives in a moment and us being aware of that and serving the needs of those around us. And um, the theme in recent years as he's working on writing a new book is that each one of us can be a difference maker. Doesn't that sound like supernatural dreaming? But there are others. Larry Julian is here in the congregation. I'm sure he's back in the, in the uh, upstairs right now looking at me. And, you know, we really appreciate Larry. And, and God has called him to write his books, uh, God is my CEO, God is my success, and now God is my coach. And as I was talking to Larry He has a real dream, serving the one to impact the many. And he has like four or five different ways to say that, but it it really comes down to serving the one to impact the many, a dreamer. And of course, we all know Bob Fisher, Bob the shoe repair guy. And you know, um, Bob, his life verse comes out of Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. And it's interesting that... um, He said, it was that verse, that I may know God, that drove him to start sleeping out in his tent for the homeless. 
And just a few years ago, he finished that up with uh, raising a million dollars that year for the homeless here in our area. So um, with that in mind as a backdrop, I started thinking, what do I want to share with you with just the few minutes that I have left? And, um, you know, what I'd like to share with you is my dream for our church. And you don't have to own it or buy it. I'd just like to share my heart with you. And to open that up, I'd like to uh, turn to this uh, video. And this video is of a dreamer out of England. Many of you have probably seen it. Susan Boyle, youngest of 10 children, born with learning disabilities. She only worked six months of her 47 years. She took care of her mother until she died in uh, 2007 at the age of 91. In her mother's last wish, Susan, I'd like you to go on Britain's Got Talent. And Britain's Got Talent is the equivalent of our American Idol. Simon Cowell is still one of the judges over there as he is here. And Susan had told her mother, I won't go because that's for the younger generation. So let's just hear Susan for a moment. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, uh, where are you from? I am from Blackburn, near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of... It's a collection of... villages. Uh, I can think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. <laughs> and that's just one side of me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what's the dream? I, I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? Well, I've never been given the chance before, but here's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page. Elaine Page. Like what are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Nizarab. Okay. Big song. <laughs> yeah? Yes.
You know, we don't know if Susan's a believer. We know she sang in a Catholic church for many years. What I love about her performance are the lyrics. I have a dream. I have a dream. And my dream is twofold for our church. I have a dream that we'd all be supernatural dreamers. That we take that seed that God has planted in each of our hearts that's different according to our different personalities and styles and gifts. And that we bring that to the Lord no matter what age we are, whether we're young or whether we're old. And we're saying, Father, this is a dream you've laid in my heart. How can you make it supernatural? Years ago, we were in Pensacola. We were with the navigators, and finances were hard, and we would pray and ask God to intercede and help people bring in finances and struggling to make ends meet. And one month, they opened the paycheck, and it was for $176. And I kind of said, God, we're struggling as it is. How do we make ends meet on $176 for the month? And it was a hard month. But during that month, um, we had students from the military bases in our home all the time. And Solveig opened up the uh, counter one morning, and there's a $20 bill. And another time, we had them there in the evening, and she went to pick up her purse by the door, and somebody had slipped money in her purse. And by hook or crook, we kind of made it through the month, but we still had bills kind of starting to pile up. So I was anxiously waiting for the next paycheck to arrive and the day came and the paycheck arrived and I opened it up and it was for $7.76. And um, it's funny, I, I looked at it and I laughed and I said, well, God, this has to be you and you want to do something here different. So we moved through that month and it was a hard month. At the end of the month, uh, we were then struggling, Lord, how are we going to make it another day? And the Lord led me to a passage in Isaiah, uh, and it was Isaiah 28. And it essentially was a passage that said, if I can find it here, God, um, how are you going to take care of us and what are you going to do? And the passage said, look, I, I, won't, I won't take the seed and I won't thrash it too dif- more difficultly. I won't press on it too much. Hold my hand back. And that's what he did. That Sunday afternoon, when we were about at the end of our rope, a neighbor walked in and said they'd like to support us and gave us money that was exactly enough to cover our bills. God is a God of great provision and dreams. But there's another way that I dream, and that is that as we seek God and give Him our dreams and ask that He turns them into something supernatural, that we'd have a new revelation of Him. You know, Shubab talked about the idea that, Philippians 3.10, that I might know God. And that was the journey that started His whole movement to the homeless and the sleepouts. And so also that we could meet and know God in a different way. Like I shared, you know, the difficulty. Um, when you're facing that impossible situation and you have no funds, 
and then God comes through. As a matter of fact, um, we got to the point where we had no money, and I sold some of my silver dollars that my grandfather had given to me so we'd have enough money just to get to the end of the month. And we had a half day of prayer, and the military guys would all get together, gals would all get together, and we'd go out to a park and spend time half a day with the Lord. And so I was desperately praying that they would offer to pay for my car to get into the park, which they didn't. And then we spent our half day, and then afterwards we'd always go to a restaurant for lunch, and then we'd share what God had spoken to us about. And so I was desperately praying, Lord, that somebody would pay for my lunch, and they didn't. And so I spent the last few dollars that I had on earth knowing that I had a wife and a baby back home that had no money and no way to take care of them. But God wanted to see, wanted me to see him in a new way. And I believe this is the opportunity that we have for our church. As Kevin takes us through a series to move not from works and what I'm doing, but to faith in what God is doing. And to trust and believe Him for even the simplest things. And I'd like to uh, close with a uh, story. In 1976, I was in Jerusalem uh, for about six months studying. The institute there would have groups come from all across America or the world to study in short-term groups to look and study the land and us kind of long-termers would join them. And uh, during this one session, we had a group come from the Reform Seminary in Mississippi. And there was a gal there who had been an uh, elementary school teacher for many years. Um, she's still fairly young, actually. And she told this story. And my kids often like me to repeat this story to them. As it happens, it was um, working with a kindergarten class. And a little girl in her class had a birthday in late November, and her dream was horses. She loved anything about horses, pictures and so forth. And her parents, in order to meet her need, and thought and thought, and they decided they could come up with enough money, and they purchased a beautiful little rocking horse for her. And she loved the rocking horse. And she, it became her prized possession, and she'd rock on it, and she'd invite her friends over to rock on it, and she would tell the story how she got it for her birthday, and she would celebrate that. Well, sometime in early uh, December, her teacher shared that, you know, the meaning of Christmas is all about God sending his most precious son here to earth to die. And that what she wanted to do this year, she wanted to ask each of the kids to bring into the class their most prized possession in order that they might give that off to others in greater need. And, of course, this little girl was stunned because her prized possession was this little rocking horse that she not only had a few weeks. And um, so she came home from school, and over the next few days and weeks, her parents noticed how her countenance really felt. And finally they said, Honey, what's, why? What's wrong? What's going on? And she shared how... The story that she'd asked to um, bring their prized possession in, and the prized possession for her was a rocking horse. And her parents said, well, honey, maybe you could bring in your doll. And she said, no, Dad, I can't do that. That's not my prized possession. And so she struggled as she saw her friends come to school each day, some bringing frogs, guys, yes, 
and the girls bringing their little dolls or their little outfits. And just before Christmas, uh, when the school was to break, she told her mom and dad that she had to bring in the rocking horse. And so she sure did. And, you know, her teacher, who was sharing the story with us, said, you know, I felt so bad. I'm asking her to give up something so precious to her. So she walks down the middle of her class with a little rocking horse. But that's not the end of the story. She went home for Christmas, and Christmas morning her grandparents came to visit. And she got up for Christmas feeling a little bit depressed, having given away her prized possession. Her grandfather asked if she wanted to see a Christmas present. Of course, yeah. He says, well, you know, it's out in the backyard. And so she went roaring through the house, jumped out on the back porch, and there in the back paddock was a beautiful chestnut filly, a real horse. Your dreams and my dreams are the rocking horse. And God's asking, are you willing to open your hand to give that dream to me? Because I'd like to give you a real horse. So that's my dream. That we'd all become supernatural dreamers. And that we'd have a new experience of God.